Welcome to today's episode of the Testing Peers podcast. Today we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. But before we get started, I thought it'd be quite good just to introduce you to us. I'm Chris. Hello. Here's David. Hello. Simon. Hello. And Russell. Hello. And we have been kindly sponsored by Safran QA, who are a provider of recruitment and consultancy services exclusively for the software testing industry. And we'll put more details from them in the show notes. And it is then we have to thank for these microphones that all of us have working apart from Russell. Sorry. I'm a good tester. I managed to find a way to make it not work. Imposter syndrome is kind of a big deal that most of us get involved in. But I was wondering if anybody had an elevator pitch for what it actually means for those of us that have never heard of it. It has a chart that says the types of people who have imposter syndrome. All the smart, successful people that you think have their shit together. So what is this? It's a feeling of inadequacy, undeserving perhaps, or unworthiness in situations. And an example that you might be thinking of is rocking up uh, first day a new job in a new industry or something and being wowed by how smart everyone is or how everyone sort of just understands and knows how things work. That can be quite an overwhelming or a feeling of inadequacy that you get. I've had that in workplaces. I've had that. I joined a band once, Mr. Like Four Chords. <laughs> and there were people that could do these insane riffs on guitars. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll just get my capo out and just slide it down till I can actually do something close to what you're doing. Is that last one imposter syndrome though, Chris? I mean, I was shit. I was shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your shit. It's not imposter syndrome then, is it? That's not imposter syndrome. <laughs> well, there you go. So is it not the kind of fear of being inadequate or incompetent when evidence suggests otherwise that you actually It's have an irrational fear of yeah. feeling yeah. that, isn't yeah. it? It's, yeah. Yeah. When you've got no reason to fear that you're But at the enough. same point, I think you'll find that people in bands actually will welcome you in. If you can play along and be a part of it, you'll only get better by practicing. True. I guess it depends what you were fearful of at that particular point. I was fearful that I couldn't hold a tune. I think that would count then potentially as imposter because the tune's got nothing to do with how many chords you can get, really. I still have it when it comes to parenting. Even though my eldest is six years old, I still get that thing of I'm doing it all wrong. I'm not good enough for this. I have to wait till they're 18 to find out, though. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't leave you. It doesn't help, help having such a powerhouse of a parent next to me alongside yeah. my wife. It's just, yeah. But also, it depends on your upbringing. Our own parents can either give us the confidence to actually believe that we can do things, and some parents can take it away. And we try our best as parents ourselves to not mess up in the same way that our parents did. But Mm. as parents, naturally, we will mess up in other ways. So it depends on how much we mess up our children as to how much imposter syndrome they're actually going to get or in what areas they're going to get imposter syndrome in in imposter sort of syndrome about it's kind of telling people they're perfect or they're the best at things is one of the things that can help encourage imposter syndrome later in life when mm. they kind of feel that they're they're brilliant at everything and suddenly they find they're not <laughs> those sorts of things can create more of an imposter syndrome they think success is easy or not easy that sort of thing and i think that sometimes education can certainly help with that because if in a school they're the best at a certain topic for example maths and they think all right i'm going to have a career in maths and then they go to oxford because they're clever enough to do it and then actually when they get to oxford there are people cleverer than them and that's when things can suddenly fall apart because you were built up to be the best person you've always been the best person and then then you're not and some people can accept that and go okay that's not for me i'm going to do something else or i'm going to use my skills in elsewhere and other people might just fall apart and think that they're useless anything I had a friend that literally was straight A's without any effort at school, literally didn't have to try, didn't revise for exams, whatever, went to Oxford and completely flunked because 
he just assumed he'd be able to carry on the way he'd always done it and he, he thought it'd be straightforward and then found out he wasn't anywhere near it. In those scenarios though, that's kind of the reverse of imposter syndrome because he walked in there thinking that he'd be as good as he was at school. And people though they feel that they do feel shame when those little things happen. I think it's considered natural genius version of imposter syndrome, where people think they're kind of naturally gifted at everything, so they just can't cope with mm anything that goes a bit off and it causes sort of mental health problems often as well. Yeah. So a good thing to do probably is to talk about today where we've encountered imposter syndrome, both in ourselves, but also in people we've worked with. And we as leaders have had to confront both of those things, not necessarily tips for how to overcome imposter syndrome, because in my experience, it doesn't go away, Mm. but coping mechanisms, things we can do and things that we have done. Yeah. A bit of an encouraging, sort of a therapeutic session. Group therapy. Sounds good. Group therapy is yeah. important. If we go from an example I have, first job I had out of games industry was a smart metering company. I got through my interview. I don't really know how because I don't really remember it. I was a bit stressed. And I turned up on my first day and I was confronted with a hexadecimal maths test and then three huge PDFs full of standards, reference points for the entire industry, that by which we are judged success and failure of our product. And then my senior went on leave for a week. And so I basically just sort of sat there feeling hugely overwhelmed and thinking everybody around me understood the intricacies of smart metering. The only things I understood were the scrum ceremonies. I understood what they were. Everything else made no sense to me. People were dressed smarter than me. I thought people were smarter than me. I thought I'd made a ginormous mistake. I think naturally I've felt when I've started some new jobs that I think they've made the wrong decision. I remember a time when I, at lunchtime, I went into the toilet and just sat on the loo and just thought, I just can't do this. They've chosen the wrong person. I feel completely out of my depth. You know, I've been thrown in at the deep end. I don't know what to do. They're using acronyms and stuff I really don't know. And I really did question whether I could do it. I stayed at the job, but it was a difficult time the first few weeks. And sometimes it feels a bit like the, the new boy at school or whatever. But when you're surrounded by intelligent people that seem to know what they're doing, it can make you feel very isolated, especially if you're this single, only first new person yeah. there. Or you're someone that shares a starting date with someone and they seem to just pick it up like nobody's business. Mm. You're just sat there going, what? That's immense. It makes it a lot worse. I think yeah. change and new starts and new things is often a very good place where you see imposter syndrome, where you see people that, for example, public speaking, that just do it almost naturally. You think they just get up on stage and knock it out of the park and you go, wow. And then you've got to do it. And you kind of get the sort of fear of you're nervous. You've got to prep it loads up front and you feel like you can't do this sort of thing. What you generally don't know is that fact that pretty much most public speakers do practice it. If it looks smooth and perfect on stage, it probably means they've done it 10, 20 times in front of a mirror or in other audiences. There's very few people that naturally just wing it. Mm. Uh, most presentations are practice prepared. Some who do more and more talks will get better and better at doing less and less prep for it. There's kind of a lot of imposter syndrome about sort of public speaking side of things and whether you can do it. And it mixes into other stresses and strains as well. But new starts, new jobs, as David mentioned, you're in an uncomfortable situation because everyone else seems to be experts and you're not. To cope with it, there's worry. There's a common one, which is working harder, not necessarily smarter, just putting in more and more hours to try and catch up as soon as you can. Seeing people burn out because they're fearful of not being part of the crowd, not being up to speed with everyone else and so on, and then put a lot of strain on themselves to get there fast. Where I've seen it, there's always been people placing it on themselves, not necessarily anyone asking them to, but maybe there's kind of inherent pressure being placed just because of the situation at hand. We're on a project, tight deadline. 
we need you to pull your weight sort of thing. But I think it is hard when you're that sole person in that situation. And talking about it, that's the only strategy I've ever kind of met and having kind of people around me that I can talk to. That was exactly where I was going to go with it. I've had situations both when I started new roles and also moving into a leadership position and having to make decisions for the first time as that sole reference point. You do question whether you've made the right choice decision you've made, whether you've hired the right person, whether you're assigning the right person to a project, et cetera, et cetera. You constantly question yourself. I've sat there for days sometimes where I've been waiting for someone to come and find me out, as in they're going to realize I'm doing nothing. They're going to realize I'm not doing a good job at some point soon. It's just a matter of time kind of thing. And that's gone round in my head for days sometimes when I feel like I'm not achieving anything or not delivering any value. It's one of those things, as you say, Russell, it's about finding those people around you that you can talk to about having that either the boss or the mentor or the peer that you can reach out to and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting this. I, I'm not feeling like I'm, I'm in this yet. And like David said, the situation where you start the new job, I had that at both my last two jobs, the one I'm in now and the previous one, that first day where I wasn't really given an introduction in one of them, literally sat down, given the test strategy, which was a 50 page document, and given a couple of TMMI assessment results and just told to go through them. That should keep me going for a couple of days. And I'm sitting there going, wow, okay. I wasn't prepared for that. I thought I'd spend my first few days meeting people and talking to people and here I am. And you start mm-hmm. questioning, well, is this right for me? Am I the right person for this? Has that changed how you dealt with new starters yourself, out of curiosity? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It made me realize that I need to clear my calendar on the day a new starter in my team starts and I can literally sit with them and walk them through stuff. And thankfully, that's what happened when I got my current job. My boss at the time, she cleared her calendar for the first week and I was able to spend time with her talking through stuff, getting to know people, meet people. It was still overwhelming because the culture of work in my current place is mind-blowing as far as the amount of stuff going on. And you do literally feel overwhelmed. You can't cope with it all. And that's another thing that falls into imposter syndrome. You're like, well, I can't do this job. I can't do this. There's too much for me to do. I'm the wrong person for this. It's about finding the small chunks, making the small things finding the things you can change, talking to the right people. Um, and you realize that everyone else is in the same boat. Everyone's feeling exactly the same way. Yeah, it's a common thing, isn't it? Then you start working together and you get that camaraderie and also having things like the testing peers. You're right. The communication thing that both of you have spoken about is really key. But I found even when I hear people telling me, oh, I was like that. It's like that for all of us. I still don't believe them. Mm. It, sometimes it's not until you see them if somebody's actually they kind of tear down that aura of understanding and knowledge and you don't get to see that all of the time and I understand why that is the case I had the privilege of being behind stage at a conference and I got to see a well-renowned conference speaker pacing backwards and forwards everything had to be completely silent because their nerves were jangling so much that they couldn't be thrown off They had to focus. That's someone who'd been doing it for years. And seeing that takes it down because there's something you get from seeing somebody who goes on the stage and you think this person is a brave person who knows everything. They must be just full of the knowledge, almost untouchables because they've made it onto the grand stage and they are the expert who talks about their things with such confidence and credibility, that's how they come across. They've been chosen. Even going to speak to those people can be quite difficult, but actually they're humans. They're normal people. Simon's spoken on the stage. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about, but Simon still struggles from imposter syndrome. 
you say that about the person that was pacing and keeping the quiet, that makes me wonder whether I'm doing it wrong. Because I don't do any of that before I go on. Usually, I literally will walk straight in the room. I'll just compose myself and start. And that's just the way I do things. We're wired differently, right? We are, definitely. Some people have got that and then other people... A lot of imposter syndrome comes down to you see how somebody else does it. You then go, why am I not doing it that way? Am I doing it wrong? Your coping mess doesn't work for me. And this is why I wrote the blog post I did a few years ago, where I was feeling that imposter syndrome of even just attending a conference because I didn't feel like the way I was doing testing was the way the majority of the people at the conference were talking about testing. And it made me feel like, am I worthy of being here? You're an odd one out sort of thing. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't until afterwards, or even at the conference, you start talking to people and you realize that you're not alone. And actually both at the conference and afterwards, I'd speak to people and some people were staying away from the conferences because they felt that imposter syndrome, even with the the advertising of the conferences. Mm. Like, you know, I'm I'm not right for that conference. Oh no, it's all about automation. I don't do automation. I'm not good enough at automation. I can't go to that conference. So it's all about exploratory or it's all about context driven and et cetera, et cetera. There was definitely this feeling within the community. There was elitism in certain areas. It's a lot better now. I think this year, actually, the pandemic has brought that closer together. And I think people all feel a lot more inclusive. But that was a big issue with my imposter syndrome, especially within the community was, I don't feel like I'm worthy of being part of this. Was that just your corner of the community? Do you think the bits that you could see, maybe there's other parts that as you've gone through, you've discovered more people with the, through this pandemic, through other mediums as well? Quite possibly. You can only see your bubble, right? Yeah. The people you're around you, the people that you communicate with. At that point, social media wasn't quite what it is now. The frequent communication, there wasn't Slack channels, there wasn't the constant amount of discussions on Twitter. You are left feeling that the blogs and the, and the conference forums and whatever else were the only areas that you had those discussions. There is that with the conferences as well. I think sometimes people suffer from imposter syndrome because they're expected once they go back to the office to do something You're going to change the world. They're going to change the world. You're going to go to that conference. You need to take something from it and you need to show that it's money worth spent. And people are just petrified. They're not built that way in order to look beyond. They take information from it, but it may not be enough in order for them to actually develop something or do something new when they go back to the company. Again, that reinforces that, well, why do we spend the money on that? You go to talk to these these wonderful people. Why can't you do that? What about in the workplace, David? Because you also started a lot of jobs well it isn't just jobs actually the place where i currently work being a consultancy or design product development company we work on multiple projects so there are lots of times where we start new projects or are as a lone tester placed in existing projects that you immediately have these experts around you we're very lucky in our company because most of the people or almost all of the people are very welcoming and will explain things to you. But as individuals, there are some people who, and I think we've described it before, that will try and find out as much information. They only need to know a small amount, but they feel so overwhelmed that they try and read every document for a project that's been running for two years. That's unachievable. And so like Russell said, they put extra hours in, which is unnecessary because they only need to build it up slowly. So Mm. in answer to your question, Chris, about how can we help others is give them an expectation that they are starting a project or they're starting this time from a small starting point and they need to build up slowly and it will take time to understand systems. We've got projects that have been going on for years and we're putting new people in and, you know, I'm telling them it will take you a year to understand exactly what you're doing. Take small steps, 
read the documentation that the people are recommending and then gradually increase your knowledge. Don't try and understand it before because otherwise your brain will explode and you won't be able to cope and have burnout. Just build it slowly. And as long as the team understand that and don't expect wonders overnight, you know, some people can excel and take on information a lot quicker than others, but there needs to be an expectation of there will always be a build-up time. Even managers and stuff don't always recognise that and can cause problems and reinforce that imposter syndrome. Do you think there's a, a need of a culture shift in not just in between projects, but when hiring people as well? And, you know, some of the communications you get is, oh, we need you to hit the ground running and comments like that, that then mm-hmm. enforce that. Oh, I need to do everything first day. I need to be ready. I need to be, I need to be the perfect employee from day one. And actually managing expectations on both sides, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When you were saying just now about changing your methods when new people come in, we've written a a document for supporting people to come into the company. So yes, we recommend people that they talk to. It depends on what level they're they're coming in at as to who they actually speak to, but they will speak to PMs. They will talk to various people within the group and understand what their job role is. And also sometimes people come in and expect to, like we just said, hit the ground running, expect to change the world. We set out that in the first month, you are just finding your feet. And we'd like to give them a task in order to have achieved something in that first month. So therefore they feel they have done something worthwhile and they can feel valuable to the company. That's the only thing we're expecting them to have done. And again, in the consultancy world, that there will be times when there's downtime. There is times when we are between projects and so therefore don't actually have paid work in order to go on. And there are always things that we can be doing. We can challenge ourselves by internal projects uh, and internal investments. But it's okay to occasionally just have that breathing space. We're not expecting you to be 100% on it all the time. It's probably a mental health requirement, isn't it? You can't be running at 100% the whole time anyway. And we should probably talk about inductions more in the future. Well, this applies beyond inductions. There are periods of our times and lives where things happen and we have to be flexible. The, The whole imposter syndrome is something that I think everyone on this call, you know, everyone here on this podcast even, is acutely aware this happened to us all. We've all felt it. We've all experienced it. And we all do. If I look back on my life, I think of pretty much most times of my life, I felt it in some way or form. Running meetups for the first time, be it presenting, be a team leader, doing my first one-to-one. Am I the right person to do this? Have I, why am I doing this? You kind of, you feel it all the way through your journey. There's a lot of nodding it's, going on, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that um, is a frustration of life. And my best advice I can give is try I think we talked about this previously in other things is try because feedback and positive reinforcement of people saying you did a good job of that is the way to know that actually maybe you're not an imposter. Failing and accepting the fact that you might fail and you can learn from it is a good thing to do. It's hard, especially as I said, if you kind of have that belief that, you know, you're a genius at everything or you were at school because you were top of the class for everything. It is hard, but if you can accept and start to learn slowly and safely to fail little bits and to get positive feedback, it will help make that imposter syndrome last shorter spaces of time, be less painful and allow you to actually maybe get that pat on the back occasionally that makes you think, wow. Also, I guess take this as a reminder, the people that you see that do a decent job, it doesn't have to be putting the world on fire. Praise them, give them some feedback, pat them on the back because they may not be feeling as confident as they look. We all could do with a bit of praise and a bit of a compliment every now and again. Yeah. yeah, I think that would probably be a good way to sort of finish the conscious of time that we have is to maybe talk about something that now we maybe even right now have a desire to do, but possibly are suffering from imposter syndrome now about if you're willing and able to do those sorts of things, we could talk about it. 
and maybe even set ourselves some sort of accountability over things perhaps to support each other but also be honest about that because I think it's important that as leaders we model these things when I left my old workplace I wrote a letter to every one of my team to try and be encouraging to them but it was prefaced with the fact that I knew I was going into something that was totally new and so I said like be brave enough to suck at something new the struggle that I have at the moment is I would very much like to try and be good at speaking at the conferences I've spoken once at the Geordie Testatelier that was brilliant mm-hmm. this year during when physical conferences were a thing. I've kept on trying. I keep on coming back with things. Taking rejection is a hard thing. Asking for feedback is a good thing. Bringing people into that journey with me is important because otherwise I will stop and I will give up. I'd like to echo that. And it wasn't anchoring for a change. I was going to say that also I think I would like and have always thought that I'd like to talk at a conference, but I suffer from the fact that I don't think that people would find what I have to say interesting and therefore I never pick up the courage in order to actually put the details in and even suggest topics. I can't necessarily always think of the topics and I've got enough interesting things to say. Simon? Yeah, you got me thinking now. I certainly had that conference thing a few years ago. I know you're talking about what we have now but I'm just give you to the support that I had that a few years ago and actually as Russell said you just make that jump just try the first time yes it took me a few rejections before I got to a point where I got selected but actually the conferences I got rejected at they gave me a lot of feedback on my submission and I was able to refine it and actually got selected for a conference but yeah it's taking that step I would say at the moment mine is I've now been given a bigger role at work and I've been given the remit of here's a blank sheet of paper what do you need and I almost find that daunting because I don't, I have lots of ideas of what I'd like in an ideal world. I could do this, 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 and this. But actually, in the current pandemic, I don't feel I have an idea on where to start on how to build out what I need to do. So I'm scratching around trying to think of things that I'd like to do and then trying to form a plan. But it is that, am I the right person to do this? And then you start panicking. Well, if I'm the wrong person to do that, they've just got rid of a load of people. What am I going to do next? It's that panic that sets in and then you start questioning yourself. And then that, the way my brain works, that then snowballs into, I can't do this, I can't do that. And I'm rubbish, I'm useless. I'm just going to sit in my desk and slump and do nothing because I can't think of what to do next. So yes, it's a tough one. How do you follow that, Russell? I guess my most recent experience is I've changed job roles. I'm no longer in testing anymore. I'm kind of in delivery. It's my first role as a kind of delivery manager. And that's very much going in. I'm going in as a consultancy firm. So some companies are paying a fortune for my services, bless them. And obviously you're going in there and you're trying to lead direct things and you're experiencing kind of self-doubt beyond belief. You're changing what you're doing. So you've got to be, that's a quite a stressful and weird experience because you've honed your skills over the years of doing one thing and then suddenly you're doing something different you're not just changing your domain you're changing the company and everything at the same time i think dealing with that sort of conflict and the kind of fear that you're not the right person for the job that you pick the wrong thing or they're expecting the wrong thing or do you know what the right thing to do because actually you're not that person and then you realize that everyone who does a job like this has come from a different background has done something different before everyone started off somewhere you don't come out of the, your parents and things. You don't come out of school and you've been delivery manager. It's not the way it works. So you come from experiences and you build up and you start putting in context and you, you reflect back on 
what things are and what you do, what value you add. And suddenly you realize actually you do. You're not the imposter you think you might be. That's cool. I've got a cheesy one to finish on as well. Go on. I feel an imposter every time we sit down on a call like this and to record a podcast. (laughs) Because I feel like I can't articulate stuff in the same way that some of you can. I worry before I'm on the call, I'm not going to say anything useful tonight. I'm going to talk too much and it's all going to be rubbish. I always feel like I talk too much more. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stop talking too much. But what I'd just like to say is I have added onto our Slack channel an imposter syndrome channel. And I think it would be good for us when we're feeling imposter syndrome to post in there. Not, not so that we can all just go and go, nah, mate, you're great. You'll be awesome at your job. That's wonderful. To legitimately be there, have accountability. And maybe if we ask for help, to get help i don't think saying i'm not very good at something and someone just going you're great at it is a particularly healthy way of living our lives so if we can use this perhaps this is a way that we can help each other in a kind of collaborative way going forwards you're very free to ignore it as some of my posts do. it may become the new general channel with that it much may, I think that's yeah. the only problem <laughs> let's try it what's the harm in trying exactly it? learn expect and adapt let's bring this to a close david well thank you very much everyone for a nice therapy session there (laughs) we hope it was as valuable to our listeners as it was for the rest of us if you do have any examples of your own insecurities then um, and imposter syndrome then please do let us know please contact us by email or at contact us at testingpeers.com or via instagram or twitter at testingpeers you can also support us through patron site at patron slash testingpeers Thank you very much for listening and thanks for our sponsors, Saffron QA. And we look forward to you coming back for a future episode in a couple of weeks. For now, it's goodbye from the testing peers. Goodbye. Goodbye.